people find freedom in this area, that's really a important thing. Um, because genuine, nothing, there's nothing like genuine repentance that, um, will change any of our hearts, for that matter. Um, and why don't you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul uh, had written another letter or two to the Corinthian church and addressed many different issues that needed to be confronted and and dealt with, some that would include uh, church discipline. And um, here he begins to talk about that letter and, and the repentance that the church uh, showed. And um, Okay, that's fine. We can just go ahead and look at the word here. And then it says, um, let's look at verse 8. It says, for even though I did grieve you with my letter, I do not regret it now, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter did pain you, though only for a little while. Yet I am glad now, not because you were pained, but because you were pained into repentance. And then I like this, uh, this, uh, paraphrase here, or the, um, the, uh, Oh, amplified version, it says in parentheses, that turned you to God. The repentance that turned you to God. For you felt a grief such as God meant you to feel. That is really, really important. And this, actually, this translation really describes much better than any other translation, um, the heart of genuine repentance. You know, because within us, within a Christian, Jesus Christ dwells. And, um, and a big part of repentance is feeling inside what Jesus feels about something. You know, um, and there is a grieving. It says, you felt the grief such as God meant you to feel, so that in nothing you might suffer loss through us or the harm for what we did. And so when we're talking about genuine repentance, there's there's a real heart understanding of how God views the sin, how he feels about the sin, how he grieves over the sin. And that is really important for people to come to the end of themselves and to have an, uh, an understanding of what it means to repent. And then in verse 10 it says, For godly grief, for godly sorrow, and the pain God has permitted to direct produce a repentance that leads and contributes to salvation and deliverance. Now, that word in most translations, you have salvation, the repentance that leads to salvation. Actually, that is not a good English word to describe the Greek word. A better word to use would be what is ha- what is here, salvation and deliverance. That is, re- that is really a fuller, um, a fuller meaning of, uh, of that word, salvation. Deliverance from evil, and it never brings regret, but worldly grief, the hopeless sorrow that is characteristic of the pagan world, is deadly. It brings about death. So there's worldly sorrow, godly sorrow. Godly sorrow means that my heart feels the same way that God feels 
about the sin. It means that I'm going to be on my way to deliverance. I'm going to find deliverance from that sin when that happens. Worldly sorrow is kind of like, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry because of my circumstances. I'm sorry because of the financial loss or or because I've lost my wife or my kids. or And that really isn't the kind of um, sorrow that brings repentance. What brings repentance is feeling the way God does about sin. Not to say that you're not going to you know, grieve the losses and the consequences of your sin as well, but the heart there is one that uh, is grieving and, and feels the same way that God feels about your sin. And then in verse 11 it says, For you can look back now and observe what this same godly sorrow has done for you and has produced in you what eagerness and earnest care to explain and clear yourselves of all complicity in the condoning of, of incest, which was the sin here, that uh, one of the sins that serious sins that had to be addressed, what indignation at the sin, what alarm, what yearning, what zeal to do justice to all concerned, what readiness to mete out punishment to the offender, at every point you have proved yourself cleared and guiltless in the matter. And so you can see that the product of genuine repentance is they're going to do whatever it takes to make it right. Okay? And uh, and that is very, very important when you're dealing with somebody that struggles with an addiction. Um, they have to come to the end of themselves. They have to come to that same place, whether it's this here, it was a sexual addiction um, that was in the church that was being uh, dealt with, but it could be an alcohol addiction, a drug addiction, um, any type of addiction that you're dealing with. There needs to be a real genuine repentance that needs to take place in the person's heart. Yes, ma'am. Somebody that has DID? Well, when you deal with addictions and DID, um, um, you know, what I'm, normally what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to strengthen the host, um, and make the host more responsible for the choices that the other parts make. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, again, it's kind of back to the principle is that there's a part of them that is connect, hopefully, well, well, let me back up here. Rewind. Um, I don't really counsel with any DIDs unless they are really serious about God. <laughs> First of all, um, there has to be a real sincere desire for them to turn to the Lord. Now, I understand that their woundedness is going to cause problems with that. Um, but that's, we all have that. <laughs> um, um, you know, uh, but there has to be a real sincere desire to follow the Lord. I've seen a lot of counselors spend a lot of time and effort, you know, with people that are DID and they just do all sorts of stuff and they, you know, they just, it's just, I mean, because they're, they're really not, their heart really isn't committed to the Lord. Now I know the difference. Now I've been around the block long enough to know the difference. And, um, and so unless somebody, unless, and I'm looking at, a, I'm always looking at what God is doing in a person's heart. And so if they have an addiction issue, you know, is there, is, is God is working in their heart and life and, and they're finding healing, those things will drop off. You know what I'm saying? And, and sometimes there are altars that can, you know, have a, like an eating disorder, which would be a common one. Um, 
you know. So, but if you're dealing with sins like promiscuity, you know, um, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, you're really gonna, they're really going to have to deal with the pain that's behind that addiction pretty pretty early in the process. And so that's where, that, and I'll kind of get into that here a little bit about having them. They're going to have to deal with the wounds that are there. You know, you can't your 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 understanding and your patience level needs to be greater for a person that's DID, okay? But there also has to be a real sincere desire for them to follow the Lord. So, um, yeah, this is the um, this is the Amplified Bible, and uh, I just, there's some passages here that I think that are really important that really draws out. The Amplified really draws out the meaning very well. Um, and so there's a, a real, um, a real desire to make, you know, the wrong right. And so, um, and they're beginning to understand how God sees it. And so when you're dealing with, so that's really the type of person that's struggling with an addiction that you can help. Okay. People that don't really fit that description, they're going to be very hard. To help, um, and, and it really kind of depends on the kind of counseling situation you're in. Like for me, um, you know, I could have people that are coming in um, from out of state for four or five days, and so it's not like we have a whole lot of time to get to that place of repentance. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's like they almost have to come at that level to get the help that they need. Now, if you're in a church, local church situation where somebody's kind of up and down and you know, you can have a little bit more patience with them and kind of let the course of time and, and you know, and the pressure that God will put on them, you know, and the circumstances of their sin, you know, work on them a little bit. You can have a little bit more patience, you know, for to let them come to the end of themselves, you know. But uh, primarily, you're really not going to get very far. And I've worked with people with addictions for over 20-some years. Um, you're really not going to get very far until they really come to that place of genuine repentance. So that's really, really important whenever you're dealing with people that are struggling with addictions. Um, yeah. I think that it is. Um, I think that there's a, um, I think that there's also, um, I think that there is, I think God initiates and brings people to that place. But I also think that there's, um, you know, there's a, a humility. There's, there's a, there's a, um, that we also have to come to, you know, we have to begin to, um, say, um, and begin to see it from God's perspective, you know. Praying that God would give them the, yeah, gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, you know, there's a, uh, um, you know, there, there's all sorts of defense mechanisms. In fact, I've got a list here of those um, of different examples of worldly sorrow, denial, and fantasy, emotional insulation, regression, displacement, projection, rationalization. Those are all different um, examples of kind of that deception of worldly sorrow. Um, but people have to come to that place of, of genuine repentance. Um, and again, it, it's, it's, it is discerning more what is God doing in that person's life. You know, has God brought them to that place? 
you know, and are they responding to God's conviction in their life, you know, to come to that place of repentance. And, uh, and I've had some situations where, um, you know, I just know that that's what they need to do. And there's really not a whole lot more you can do until they get to that place. Um, okay, what's what's next up there, Bob? If I'm not doing it, I get I, it's hard for me to synchronize it. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, that's what we've been talking about. <laughs> Let's look at uh, Psalms uh, 51. Um, that is really an awesome uh, passage there. It talks about David's repentance. And, um, and, the, yeah, no, you want to back up. Um, um, what's that? Maybe it is. Stress. On Psalms 51, I'm, we're looking on page one here of the notes. Um, there's seven characteristics of godly sorrow in the life of David. And uh, this is another great passage, a portion of scripture, when it, we're talking about repentance. David cried out for mercy in verse 1. Uh, he acknowledged his self-will or his, his iniquity in verse 2. And this is kind of like man's response uh, in the repentance process. Uh, David was intimately aware of his sin and took personal responsibility for his violating God's laws. David acknowledged his sin or was against a holy God. Um, David clearly understood that God would deal with his sin. Verses 4 through 6 there. David asked God to change his heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. You know, verse 10. He knew he needed to have a, he knew he needed to see this from his, God's perspective. He knew he needed to change. And then David understood God wanted to teach him the true meaning of broken, of being broken and contrite heart. Um, and so, you know, as I'm trying to discern where people are at in counseling people, um, in particular we're talking about addictions here, these are the kinds of things that I'm looking for. You know, are they wanting to take responsibility? Do I see them crying out to God? Do I see them acknowledging their sin against is against God? Um, do they understand that God wants to, is going to deal with them regarding their sin? Um, that there's going to be consequences that they're going to have to accept? Um, you know, do, do they really see a need to change? Hey, I've got to change, you know. And um, so this is just part of that process of repentance. Um, why don't you turn with me to page, let's see, page three. And this is taken from Psalms 31. Here's four characteristics of the addicted. Um Back, let me go ahead and, and read you those verses here. It says in verse 4, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to desire strong drink. Lest they drink and forget the law and what it decrees, and pervert the justice due any of the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is ready to pass away, and wine to him in bitter distress of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his want and misery no more. Open, I'm sorry, that's it. And so you can see some of the characteristics here that are in these verses 
Um, they were perishing, uh, which means to lose oneself, to fail, to be undone, to be destroyed. So people that are struggling with addictions have a lot of hopelessness, a lot of low self-image. They're very hard on themselves. Um, the lie that they believe is I'm just the same old poor sinner who is helpless and hopeless and I'm never going to change. Okay, And so the truth is that the old person I used to be was crucified with Christ and I'm a new creation who is dead to sin and I am a righteous saint. And and so you can just see, you know, a person's perspective on their identity of Christ and their identity of Christ and is is really being based on how they performed. You know, it's it's they're basing who they are on on how their flesh, you know, has performed. And that's usually one of the main areas that I'm going to address with somebody that's dealing with addiction is I'm going to want to try to understand where are they finding their identity. And a lot of times it is in the performance kinds of things. Um, and so when you have an addiction and you're kind of basing your identity on your actions there of your addiction, you're always going to feel like a failure. And so they have to kind of take the truths that are in Romans 7 and begin to understand that it's their flesh that sins, but it's not the person, the new person in Christ. And and beginning to help them understand that. In fact, for some people, I'll I'll uh, kind of paint a story about um, you know what it's like to be tempted, you know, and I'll and just a real simple one would be like you know let's say I had a uh, somebody that struggled with a sexual addiction, and I'll say you know let's say I have a you know a Playboy magazine here on my desk, you know, and and it's the latest version, and and I'll ask them, you know, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite movie star, female movie star? And I'll say, oh, uh, you know, Nicole Kidman. I'll say, okay. Well, let's just say Nicole Kidman, you know, uh, decided that she was going to do a, a, um, uh, an article and a, a nude photo opportunity for Playboy magazine. And I had that edition on my desk here. Um, and I opened up the centerfold. And, you know, would your flesh be tempted to look at that? You know, and they're like, oh, yeah, of course it would. And I said, and so and we begin to talk about how the flesh is is tempted, you know, through the lust of the eye and the pride of life and the lust of the flesh. And then I'll ask him, I'll say, now, inside of you, you know, is there a part of your heart that doesn't want to look at that? And they'll be like, yeah. Is there a part of your heart that would really feel convicted if you looked at that picture? Yeah. Is there a part of you that just would... Just doesn't want anything to do with looking at that picture? Yeah. You know? Have you ever had pornography in your possession and just lost all desire for it and just wanted to throw it away and get rid of it? Yeah. And trying to get them to understand, you know, there's a part of your heart where Jesus lives that doesn't want anything to do with looking at that. In fact, it can make it sick to look at it. It grieves your heart to look at that. You know? Trying to get them to understand the difference between their flesh, you know, and if they're a man, it would be good that their flesh would want to look at a naked woman. Better than a naked guy, okay? But there's the Spirit of Christ dwells within them. And there's a part of them in the new creation that doesn't want anything to do with that. And what I find with most people that are struggling with addictions, they are not in touch with that. They are not in touch with the new person in Christ. 
They don't know how to walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, Galatians says, we walk in the Spirit, we will not what? Fulfill the what? Lust of the flesh. And so, um, you know, there, there is a, there is an understanding here and of, of trying to help them understand what the truth is regarding their identity in Christ. I saw a hand back there. Exactly. Oh, huge. Major, major, major. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of what I'm doing when I'm counseling with addicts is really trying to help them get connected to what the truth is regarding their identity in Christ. That That's a big part of it. And helping them understand the battle, you know, between their flesh and and really understanding, you know, the, the new heart that Jesus gave them. Because it's, it's that part of them that's key to repentance because they're going to grieve and feel the same way God feels about that sin, but it's also the part of them that doesn't even want to do it. See? I guess I in here, yeah. I'm kind, yeah, I'm kind, I'm black and white. <laughs> I'm a black and white person. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if normally what I do is, um, uh, and I've had those situations with people locally that I've helped, and, um, what I what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand what are some of the false beliefs, you know. And in these charts, there's a lot of the lies versus the truth here. Um, and uh, and let me just go over them real quick, and then I'll, I'll finish. I'll answer that question. Um, it, they're full of anguish, which is bitter, provoked, grieved, vexed, discontented, um, bitter and guilty. The lie is I deserve to be punished and condemned. I can't face the truth about myself. I'm a prisoner of my past. The truth is there is no more guilt, condemnation in Christ. God has taken care of my past and the cross. I am now a product of the cross. Poverty, to be destitute, have lack, need, needy, poor. So they're destitute and defeated. The lie is I am unloved and unaccepted. I have been forsaken. I am without support. The truth is God loves me and accepts me and will never leave me or forsake me. He has given me everything I need for life and godliness, every spiritual blessing and victory. Misery, a toil severely with irksome and worrying effort, worry and burden. The lies is up to me and I'm giving up um, because I don't feel like they can do it. The truth is God will do it all for me and has given, has called me to give up <laughs> and rest in him. And so um, what I will do, and, and this is just kind of a generic um, truth and lie kind of chart. Um, there are more specific lies that people believe regarding their identity in Christ. But what I will do with a, a person that is kind of struggling back and forth is I'm really trying to understand what their triggers are. And um, and that's where you get into... Um, um, the, the second main point there on page 1, Roman numeral 2, they must come to freedom in other areas of their lives. Resolving areas of rebellion, bitterness, hurt, hypocrisy, moral failure, worldly influences, unhealthy soul ties, and pride. There could be other issues in their life 
that need to be resolved, other strongholds that are kind of making their situation worse. The second thing there is healing wounded uh, parts. I should be parts. Healing the wounded parts of the person is of great importance. Um, people medicate their woundedness with alcohol, drugs, sex, or whatever. And so, um, for some people, you have to, as they continue to struggle, you have to begin to find out what are the root issues there. That's an opportunity to begin to, sh- to get them to look deeper and to understand, you know, what is the pain that you're medicating? What is the strongholds that are coming out of that pain? Um, that need to be resolved. And um, and then dealing with those, uh, um, with some of the tools, you know, that you guys have learned here, um, praying, praying and renouncing and, and healing, um, prayers and things like that. And uh, um, one of the things that I do, uh, I can remember one man in particular right now off the top of my head a few years ago who was an alcoholic, that I worked with, and um, and this and God's used this with other people too, but with him it was really powerful. And that he started, he was struggling. He would do okay for a little while, then he'd struggle, and he knew better, and that kind of what you were describing. And and we just we would just read the scriptures that talked about his identity in Christ, that talked about him being a new creation, that talked about um, you know performance issues in his life, that talked about you know, these different strongholds that talked about, you know, Jesus bringing healing. And so I can remember one day, we just had like two hours of just scripture, you know, and and lies and thoughts would come up, um, and he'd have questions for me. Well, what about this? And what about that? And then God would give me a scripture, and I'd share it with him. He'd be like, wow, you know. And then something else would come up, and I'd share a scripture with him, and he'd be like, oh, okay. You know, but God was using that in his life really to purify him um, and deal with a lot of those lies that were a part of his belief system. And um, and he just got strengthened in his identity in Christ and strengthened in understanding, because he'd been to AA, you know, he'd been down the 12-step road, and, uh, you know, he really believed that that's who he was, that he was an alcoholic, he was always going to be an alcoholic, and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, it took the scripture and God's spirit to break through that mindset and me to help him understand that he is a new creation in Christ and there is a part of him that does not want to do that and that that's where Jesus dwells and he can learn to walk in that person. And uh, I just counseled his pastor and his pastor's wife and their son about two months ago and uh, he's going to their church and he's really doing good, you know. But I really saw, you know, but again, I saw that repentance in him. I saw a willingness to receive the truth, and uh, and God blessed him for that. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really important to understand that you know you're you're dealing with repentance, but you're also dealing with some of these other areas that are kind of driving driving their addiction. The third one is um, they must grasp their true identity in Christ. And uh, there's a strongholds of addiction chart in here somewhere. That's page five. And this, this basically what this chart here is, um, and actually I should put 
I should give credit to whom credit's due. That's not in here. It should be Mike and Julia Quarles should be in here somewhere. Put this together. Let me see if he put it in there. I didn't type this out, but I... Oh, okay, he did put it on one of them. But those last three charts all are some materials I've gotten from Mike and Julia Quarles. But um, the strongholds of addiction, this chart here is very useful in understanding what are some of the most common lies regarding a person's identity in Christ um, and the truth of who they are in Christ. And it talks about those different strongholds of hopelessness, guilt, self-help, insecurity. Um, and these are a lot of the battles that people that are struggling with addictions have. And then there's a description there. The lies for the hopelessness is, I'm a victim and helpless. I will never change. It's hopeless. Um, it's different, and so is my problem. You know, so it won't work for me. And that's, I mean, that guy that I, I was telling you about a few minutes ago, that alcoholic, I mean, he, he believed every one of those lies. I mean, every one of them. The truth is that he's a victor in Christ. He's, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. The truth sets you free regardless of the problem or person. And so I would take scriptures as he would talk about these lies, and he'd bring them up. He would be talking about these things. And what I would do is I would just counteract with God's word. You know, and God's spirit was opening up his heart to the truth. And then the next one is guilt. Um, I deserve to be punished and condemned. I cannot face the awful truth about myself. I'm a product of my past. And then again, the truth is there's no judgment in, in Christ. For those in Christ, I am a new creation. I am a product of the cross. And then self-help, um, People that struggle with addictions are very focused on them doing it. You know, it's kind of like all up to me. And um, and so they're very behavior-orientated people. Um, and they're, a lot of them are trying to find acceptance through performance. Um, and it kind of boils back down to that A trauma where they never really have felt unconditional love in their life. They don't understand unconditional love. And so they have a lot of woundedness there in their heart. Um, and they need to understand, you know, the lies are, if it's going to be, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. If I change my behavior, it will change me as a person. And so there's a lot of focus on self and changing the person's behavior, whereas only God can change me is the truth. God helps those who give up and trust in Him. So there's a coming and a dying to self. And then if I change my beliefs, it will change my behavior versus the opposite, which is changing my behavior, and then I'll change as a person. And then insecurity. Um, people that struggle with addictions are very insecure. Um, and uh, and so the lies that they struggle with are things like, I'm unworthy to be loved and accepted. I need someone to validate me as a person. I need someone or something uh, to be secure. The truth is, I am loved and accepted by God. I am one with Christ. He is in me, and I am in Him. I am eternally secure in Christ, who will never forsake me. Um, I have a person right now that I'm working with who um, had a, has a sexual addiction, and he had it for 20-some years, and then um, he finally came to repentance. And uh, he is grieved over his sexual sin, um, exactly like the scripture says in Second Corinthians. So this just shows you just how black and white it isn't. <laughs> um, and um, 
but uh, you know he still doesn't really feel freedom yet, even though he has this repentance, and that's because he's he's kind of put off that sinful act, and um, and he's lost his desire to do it, and he really has grieved over it as the Lord would want him to, but he's having a really difficult time putting on the new person in Christ. And and that and the struggle there is this. The struggle is, is he's having a hard time really receiving that God loves him and um, and accepts him. And you and really the block there um, comes from some childhood uh, trauma, some A trauma in his life, and a little bit of B trauma. And, uh, and the way he found acceptance, you know, was through a sexual addiction. And so, you know, we've been parked on, uh, the whole issue of God loving him, you know, for close to a year now. And working through every lie and every wound that gets in the way of him receiving that Jesus loves him. Now his heart is definitely in the right place, and he's you know he's grieved over the sin. He's confessed his sin to his pastor, to his wife. He's got accountability. He's going to a small group for the sexual sin. He's he's got he's seeing a, a psychologist. He's seeing me. I mean he's doing he is doing everything he can to get help. But what he really needs is he needs somebody in his life that will demonstrate unconditional love to him. And I think that's why he keeps coming back to me. And, um, <laughs> and just, and this is what we've just been parked on, you know. Um, and, you know, the lies that he feels about himself are just so deeply rooted. Um, and, uh, and I really do believe that there's some memories that he's probably going to have to work through and he's going to have to get more in touch with the Lord. But, um, but it takes time sometimes for people to begin to really grab a hold of some of these things. You know, um, and work through these lies. So people, you know, I can remember that one situation, uh, the alcoholic that I worked with. I mean, I mean, we went through the scriptures for two hours and broke off a lot of lies in his belief system. And God's word just really came alive to him. And, um, in fact, I think with him, he was a new Christian. I was using the New Living Translation with him because it's about the only thing he could understand. And so he'd be like, could you go make me a copy of that? So I'd run and make a copy of my Bible, <laughs> picture the scripture and give it back to him, you know. And so he came back the next time and he's got all these, these photocopies of my Bible <laughs> underlined. <laughs> I was like, you know, you can go buy one at Sam's for six bucks. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, and then he got criticized at church for buying one. He's like, you bought that Bible, you know. He's like, it's just a Bible. You know, <laughs> he says, I understand it. Um, and so, uh, you know, just really dealing with those those lies um, that are in a person's belief system can be a very powerful thing. And it really does boil down to, um, you know, helping them have a, a deeper understanding of their identity in Christ. And then uh, number four there, they must acknowledge the daily struggle with their flesh and live their lives according to the grace of God. Um, passages that I use for that are Romans chapter 6 is one. Uh, we talk a lot about Galatians uh, um, 5. Um, we talk a lot about 
um, Ephesians uh, 2, um, talk about Romans chapter 7, um, which is really a, a good passage for people to begin to understand the difference between their their flesh and the new person in Christ. Let me turn there. Um, let's see here. In verse 18, uh, Paul writes, For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. When, I'll say, I'll read that verse and, I'll, and, I'll, and they'll be shaking their heads, Oh yeah, nothing's good within me. <laughs> that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot perform it. I have the intention and urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. For I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do, but the evil deeds that I do not desire to do are the what I'm doing. And they're like, oh yeah, I can relate with that. Now I do what I now if I do what I do not desire to do, it is no longer I doing it. And they kind of look at me kind of funny. I mean, the things that I don't want to do, and it's not me doing it. <laughs> it is not myself that acts, but the sin which dwells within me. Hmm. It says in the parentheses here, in this uh, translation, it says, fixed and operating in my soul. So I find it to be the law, the rule of action of my being, that when I want to do what is right and good, evil is ever present with me and I'm subject to its insistent demands. For I endorse and delight in the law of God in my inmost self with my new nature, but I discern in my bodily members, in the insensitive appetites and wills of the flesh, a different law, rule of action at war against the law of my mind, my reason, and making me a prisoner to the law of sin that dwells in my bodily organs in the, in the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh. So here's this battle that's going on. And Paul's describing it within himself. And he makes a separation between how his flesh performed and sinned and the new person in Christ. And, uh, and so that's a very, very important thing. Uh, for people that, for all of us, you know, to learn. But when we're talking about people that are struggling with addictions, they have to learn the difference between what it means to walk in the spirit and walk in the flesh. And that's a daily struggle for them, just like it is for any of us. And, um, and they have to learn to live God, their life with, according to the grace of God. Um, they must experience love, joy, and peace and a daily love relationship with the Lord, and that's really important for them to grow in that daily relationship um, with the Lord. And um, they must uh, acknowledge the the, da- the reality, the daily reality of Satan and resist his temptations. There's definitely a spiritual warfare um, issue here where they're having to take authority over the enemy. Um, and uh, understand how Satan wants to tempt them. There's the temptations that come from without, uh, which are the, from the enemy, the temptations of my flesh, and people have to learn the difference um, there. And then, uh, number seven, they must assume responsibility for his or her own spiritual maturity and freedom. 
Um, and and there is a um, um, some scriptures here I'd like to have us read. One is Philippians chapter three. Let's see here. Philippians three. 13 through 14, it says, I do consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own. But one thing I, I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. And then Galatians 5, 1. says, in this freedom Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. Stand fast then and do not be hampered or held ensnared and submit again to the yoke of slavery for which you put it off. And so there's a, there's a responsibility upon the person uh, to walk in that maturity, to walk in that freedom on their own. Um, there's a, another chart here. Kind of gives you the uh, kind of the the standard um, answer for addiction, um, and it's it's kind of an interesting way to to look at it between man's answer and God's answer for addiction. Um, programs for addiction have become very popular. Someone had mentioned the 12-step program. I worked for a residential program for 12 and a half years and uh, saw a lot of the, the failures that come from a, a program. It's real easy for people just to want to do the treatment program or go through the program, but there's really not a change of heart. And, uh, and really, uh, one of the things that is important in any kind of program is to make sure that you're addressing the issues of the heart. Um, in the, in counseling or in group or in uh, you know teachings and studies that you're doing, uh, the hard issues have to be addressed. Um, man's answer uh, for addiction is a program designed to change the behavior of the person. The result is self improvement, and that's kind of what you find many times. People will go to the program and they'll do the program for a month or whatever, and they'll get clean and they'll start feeling good about themselves, but a lot of the hard issues aren't dealt with. And then they need to consistently work on doing the right behavior. Um, the dynamic uh, is our commitment and performance. The summary, commitment to subject myself to a program of law, our rules, steps, concepts, and principles through works, be disciplined, self-effort, to strengthen the flesh, to improve self in order to produce dead works or a behavior change. And, and that's typically the model that most programs follow, not consciously, but that's kind of what, if issues of the heart are not being addressed, that's inevitable what's going to happen. And so there's a lot of external change, but really no heart change. And so they, you know, we saw this in Teen Challenge. We'd see people stay there for a year and they would really change and, and there was a lot of external change that we saw. Um, but then once they would left, leave the program, you know, they'd wash out after, you know, a few weeks or a month or two months or whatever. And it's because a lot of the heart issues weren't addressed. And then when I got, when I got involved with Freedom in Christ and started working through all those materials, 
and started using that in Teen Challenge, we really began to start getting down to some hard issues. <laughs> and that's really where I begin to see the fruit take place, you know, in, in lives being changed because a lot of it was focused on, okay, you want to memorize, you know, uh, these 30 verses this semester and, you know, you're going to learn all these Bible principles and then we're going to test you on it and, you know, you need to have 15 minutes of devotions in the morning, 15 minutes in devotions in the afternoon and, and, you know, you need to attend these classes and go to chapel and dress a certain way and, <laughs> you know, we're going to cut your hair and, <laughs> you know, you're going to make you wear a tie to church and, <laughs> and, and that's kind of how the program was set up, you know. And it wasn't until we really incorporated dealing issues at a heart level that we really see any change and began to really deal with those wounds and the strongholds and, and those kinds of issues. God's answer is the cross to put to death uh, the person who does the behavior. The result is the new person with a new identity who behaves differently. Need to understand who we are so our behavior will match up with our identity. And that's basically what I've been talking about already. Dynamic is the life of Christ. The life of Christ living and working through an individual. So the summary of that is death. I agree with God's verdict on self and give up on myself and my resources. And by grace, appropriate what God has done. And by faith, appropriate my death and resurrection with Christ. And by the Spirit, depend upon Christ's life in me to meet all my needs in order to produce life, good works, the fruit of the Spirit. Thing. Big difference there, isn't there? <laughs> um, and that's really uh, an excellent, um, excellent way to look at it. The differences between the approaches within uh, a program to deal with addiction. On page seven, there you're going to find the Overcomer's Covenant in Christ, and um, I'd just like to go over this with you. I don't know if that's there or not. I don't think it's in there. Um, the Overcomer's Covenant in Christ is page 7. Um, I place all my trust and confidence in the Lord. I put no confidence in the flesh. And I declare myself to be dependent upon God. I consciously and de deliberately choose to submit to God and resist the devil by denying myself, picking up my cross daily and following Jesus. And uh, I give this to my clients that are struggling with addictions, and this is something I'm wanting them to read over every day and begin to incorporate, you know, from their heart, these principles. I choose to humble myself before the mighty hand of God in order that he may exalt me at the proper time. So there's humility. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, and there's a definite humility and dependence upon the Lord. I declare the truth that I am dead to sin, freed from it, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, since I have died with Christ and have been raised with him. I gladly embrace the truth that I am now a child of God who is unconditionally loved and accepted. I reject the lie that I have to perform in order to be accepted, and I reject my fallen and natural identity, which was derived from the world. I declare that sin shall no longer be master over me, because I am not under the law, but under grace, and that there is no more guilt or condemnation because I am spiritually alive in Christ Jesus. It's important for people that struggle with addictions to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. 
Um, conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit that will always bring us to Jesus. Uh, condemnation, I believe, comes from the enemy and uh, is the accuser of the brethren. And when a person is under that accusation or condemnation, they want to hide from Jesus. They, have a, they don't feel like they can come to Jesus. And so it's important to understand the difference between the two. And again, that's kind of another teaching thing. Okay, I'm wanting to uh, help my clients learn to understand the difference between the two. You know, what's conviction, what's condemnation. I renounce every unrighteous use of my body and commit myself to no longer be conformed to this world, but rather to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I choose to believe the truth and and walk in it regardless of my feelings or circumstances. So there's a, a committing of the body um, and uh, the parts of their body and so forth. I commit myself to take every thought captive, to make it obedient to Christ, and to choose to think about that which is true, honorable, right, pure, and lovely. And so there's a, uh, a responsibility of taking thoughts captive. I commit myself to God's goal for my life, to conform to his image. I know that I will face many trials, but God has given me the victory. I'm not a victim, but an overcomer. In Christ. And I choose to adopt the attitude of Christ, which means that I will do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but the humility of mind I will guard others is more important than myself. I will not merely look out for my own personal interests, but also on the interests of others. I know that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay. Um another chart that did, we did not go through, but it talks about the different um, activities there. Um, and toxic effects and withdrawals. That's just kind of a FYI kind of handout for you. Um, any questions at all? On any of this? already had a few. Appreciate those questions. I like questions, helps draw things out of me sometimes. Yeah, mm. like frustration. <laughs> well, yeah, I was I was I was at a board meeting a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about, um, you know, what God is going to want me to do here in the next three four years of my life, and that kind of thing, and. And I told one of my board members, I said, you know, I really, I still really love doing a lot of counseling, you know, for people that really want to get help. <laughs> um, yeah, let me, let me give you a passage here that has really just been real special to my heart. And it, it is a passage here that, um, uh, is in their repentance material. It's, um, Second uh, Timothy chapter two, and um, uh, we can start in verse twenty-three. Um, there were a couple people in the church here, Hymenius and Philetus, who had uh, began to sow in some false doctrine, and they were not really wanting to repent of uh, their their heresy. And uh, Paul begins to give Timothy some guidance on how to deal, deal with people that are, that are difficult. 
And he says, but refuse, and I'm going to again read some of the parentheses here in this Amplified. It says, but refuse, shut your mind against, have nothing to do with, uh, trifling, ill-informed, unedifying, stupid controversies over ignorant questionings, for you know that they foster strife and breed quarrels. Okay. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, get into it with people that don't agree with maybe some of the things I'm trying to do to help them. It says that the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, fighting and contending. Instead, he must be kind to everyone and mild-tempered, persevering in the bond of peace. He must be a skilled and suitable teacher, um, patient and forbearing and willing to suffer wrong. He must correct his opponents with courtesy and gentleness in the hope that God may grant that they will repent and come to know the truth. And so I'm still gentle, I'm still courteous, I'm kind. Um, uh, but there are some times, e- even in, in the kindness and gentleness, I'll just say, you know, why don't we just take some time off from working through this right now? I just don't really feel like you're ready, um, you know, to... You know, right now to work through this, um, you know, uh, so why don't we take a few weeks off, you know, or a month off, and then we'll schedule you to come back and, you know, that kind of thing. It really kind of depends on the situation. I don't, kind of how I do it is um, some people I schedule one appointment at a time based on where they're going, you know, if they're, if, if, uh, if I don't, if I'm really um, concerned about their willingness to work through the issues, I'll schedule them one appointment at a time. If I get somebody that is really serious about getting help, I'll schedule them out. And so what ends up happening is the people that really want to get help, they'll fill up my schedule for almost two months, month and a half. And so, you know, the people that aren't really serious, they're going to end up having to wait a lot longer to come back anyway. And so my hope in that time frame is that God will deal with them <laughs> and get them to that place where, you know, they're really willing to want to work through some things, you know. But I t- typically schedule those people one appointment at a time. But there's sometimes, yeah, where I feel like, you know what, I've done all I could do to help you and, um, you know, I just, you know. But most people, you know, most people really don't, if, if when you begin to force issues, so some people counsel differently. Some people counsel do more listening than confronting. Um, I'll listen, but then I'll confront, or I'll say, this is what you need to work on. And sometimes I'll give them homework, and I'll say, you know, why don't you work on this assignment, and then when you're done with it, give me a call back. You know, and so that's another thing, you know, that you can do. And I've done that with some people. You know, I'll say, you know, why don't you read this book, and then give me a call back when you're done. So that's kind of like a test for them to see how serious they are. In a kindly way. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that there's um, intervention, you know, in those situations where you have to show some tough love, you know, and um, and they really need to, you know, sometimes church discipline, you know, needs to be a part of that process. Um but also provide, you know, if you're going to provide church discipline, you also need to provide an out for them to get some help, you know. And so, um, um, but the, the concept of, of confrontation, 
you know, when it comes to the local church is, you know, it's, it's, it's something that is to be redemptive in nature, you know, um, but yeah, you have to, you have to draw boundaries with those types of people because they can, you know, they can run over you, you know, and they, uh, they struggle with lying and deceiving and stealing and all sorts of other kinds of sins and, um, and sometimes, you know, you have to protect the family. Um, you know, you have to, um, you know, come up with some sort of intervention plan of how you're going to confront the issue. And But you have to have everybody to, together on the same page. In fact, that's what makes the Second Corinthians um, 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 repentance so effective, is that they were all on the same page in confronting this, the sin that, of incest. And so everyone has to be on the same page. So you're talking about, you know, the church leadership, the pastor, the wife. Um, you know, they all have to be on the same page as far as, you know, an intervention that would need to be done. Part of that intervention would, in a local church would, would include church discipline. But also a redemptive plan. You know, you need to, you know, counsel with Bob Allison, you know, for the, you know, whatever. You know, as a part of that, or whatever. You know, um, some people need to. Um, some people do need to get away. You know, um, you know, Teen Challenge was a, a place that I know they have several here in Texas. Um, you know, Teen Challenge was a fairly effective ministry because it would get people out of their home in a way so they could work through some things. You know, and uh, and it was it was an effective tool. Um, and sometimes residential programs can be a good, good option. Um, but, uh, um, you have to kind of come up with a plan. But everyone has to be on the same page. Um, I think, um, well, it's hard to just say one. Um, I, I definitely feel that discernment is important. Um, I think um, sympathy is important. Um, I think being skillful in the Word of God is important. Um, those three would probably be the top three, maybe. That I mean, off the top of my head, um, I think that you know you have to, you know, you have to have good discernment, you know, to understand what are the root issues. Um, what's demonic, what's the flesh, um, you know, that kind of thing. So there, that's like a spiritual gift, almost. I think that God can use people that have that gifting uh, very powerfully in counseling. Um, I think sympathy is really important, too. You know, being understand people at a heart level um, is important. And then I think being skillful in the Word, you know, to have a real good understanding of God's Word and how, and how to use it, you know, not to use it as a hammer, okay, but to use it to come alongside um, and allow the Holy Spirit to use it in people. That's right. Yeah, need doesn't constitute a call. Um, there's a lot of need. <laughs> That's huge. Um, I mean, it is just, uh, it is just, and Derek, I think I shared last night about the sophomore Bible studies in their 
couple churches in the north side of Indianapolis, and they just had to end it because it was just stirring up too much stuff, and there wasn't enough people to help. I mean, I just just like, wow. Um, so I don't know, you know. I mean, I'm glad you folks are all here, and uh, and um, you know, there's there's just such a huge need, and it's it, how, where I see it is just really getting down to the root issues. I mean, there's so much stuff, so much counseling where, you know, it's good, it's even biblical, but it's really not even getting, it's not really getting down to where people live in, in their hearts and what's really, what's going on at a heart level. And, um, you know, and I'm just grateful and thankful that, um, you know, God's call in my life has been to do that. I mean, that's kind of always been my call. My purpose in life has been to uh, help hurting people and, uh, you know, and for a period of my life, um, that was teen cha- working in the Teen Challenge, which was a great preparatory uh, time for what I do now. Um, but, uh, you know, I could see me doing this for the rest of my life. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I just really could see myself counseling and doing this for the rest of my life. Um, so I just need to pace myself so I don't get all burned out. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. Working with them or just being with them? <laughs> to others? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's kind of when, when people bring like a support person with them, that's kind of how it works in a sense. Sometimes they're a part of a small group and then their person will come with them to the counseling. And is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, oh. And do I solicit it? Yeah. I have, yeah. I have. Um, I'm doing, um, I'm speaking to some home group leaders, uh, the 28th of November actually. Um, I'm going to do a session with them, just try to encourage them actually in this area. <laughs> um, there's a church, it's a, it's really kind of an interesting dynamic. They have, um, it's like 200 people that are part of like a bunch of home churches that are kind of, but they all come together once a week. It's really kind of an interesting dynamic. And I've heard about it, so um, it would be interesting to see how that works out. But I'm supposed to be sharing here in a couple of weeks with all the, the home group leaders um, of what they can do to help minister to those needs. I think it's a good opportunity. You know, um, A lot of where where I see God's using me is to try to connect with church leadership. You know, to get, you know, to kind of supplement what we're doing. That's I've had a real strong um, burden, desire to do that. And God's opened up relationships. But it comes through relationships. You know, just you just can't have a program and then this is what's going to happen. You know, it really does come from relationships that are built. And and, uh, and that's happened. But, you know, it, there's just such a great need out there. Well, usually the, be, be, below that surface problem are, are there some root problems that are needing to be addressed. And so that's usually what God's trying to do. God's trying to, you know, deal with those root issues in their life. Mm-hmm. Could, and many others. It could be some wounds from their childhood, um, you know, and how they've dealt with those wounds, pride or rebellion or bitterness, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, there's usually about three or four. When somebody comes for counseling, there's usually about three or four really, really important 
uh, I would call them root issues that need to be addressed. So that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm looking to discern and understand what are those issues and where would the Lord be leading us. And I pray for that. Um, pray that God would give us, would lead us and guide us, give me counsel, give me wisdom, give them a heart of understanding, um, that kind of thing. Yes, ma'am. Um, that would be uh, that would that would kind of comes underneath addiction, um, and uh, um, but it's it's a little more complex than that um, because um, you know it's it's something that you have to do every day, <laughs> you know, you have to eat, and so um, but there's but I'm learning more and more about that and how to help people with that. But it's an addiction, but there's also a lot of healing, inner healing and relationship building that needs to take place too. You know, that is that is a great question. Um, you know, I, I mean, I was just thinking about it. The only resource that I have, well, we've had several books over the years. My wife uh, had an eating disorder. Um, up until about 10 years ago. In fact, that's how we got into this whole thing, was uh, she went through the Steps to Freedom and read The Bondage Breaker, and um, she was still struggling with bulimia at that time. And uh, and she was, you know, understood um, the lies of the enemy and how Satan was kind of driving that thing. And there was a, a demonic um, aspect to that that was dealt with through going through the Steps to Freedom and her understanding spiritual warfare and not all her thoughts were her thoughts and that kind of thing. And she she became free. Um, she hasn't struggled with um, Lena in uh, over 10 years now. Um, but uh, but there's still, um, uh, you know, but there's still other issues, you know, that need to be dealt with relationally and, and childhood woundedness and things like that. Um, and so there's... Um, you know, I think that just the basics of uh, re- resolving um, you know, some of these resources we've talked about, the life model, um, you know, bondage breaker, reclaiming certain ground, I think those are all good things to understand in addressing that. Um, no one has really taken all this material and related to an eating disorder. I don't know a book out there yet. I think the, I don't think there's one. The only book, you know... Somebody says, well, maybe Jeff, you know, your wife's been through it. You know, maybe you and your wife could put together a book, you know, or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that God would have that someday. But um, but I think there's still a lot of the story still being written. <laughs> but, I mean, 90% of the more severe eating disorders that you have, about 90% of those, there's been some sort of sexual abuse. It's pretty high. That was a statistic I heard out of Vanderbilt University a couple months ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a control issue. But a lot of times there's some sort of sexual abuse there. Um, and so, um, you know, for your more severe eating disorders, anorexia, you know, in particular anorexia. But, um, uh, but you know, really there isn't. I mean, I'm trying to think of the only book I have on my shelf is a book by McGee, by Rafa, 
on eating disorders. I, you know, we have several others, but I think they're all packed away <laughs> because I don't think they're going to really benefit anybody. But um, I've been having my clients read the life model and learn about breaking through the fear bonding issues in their life and learning how to their identity in Christ and how to understand the battle between the flesh and the spirit and understand spiritual warfare. I've been kind of working on those kinds of issues with people that have eating disorders. Usually they're, the more severe ones are very isolated. They isolate themselves tremendously. and yeah. But usually there's, you know, there's far deeper issues than just the eating disorder that need to be dealt with. Any other questions? Um, I have... Um, I, I have a, uh, a counseling form where uh, I have different areas um, that I want to get information on. Like I'll have uh, some information on their family background. I'll have some information on um, you know medications that they're taking, hospitalizations, that kind of thing. And then I begin to, uh, as I'm dialoguing with them and talking to them about their problems, um, I'll have different issues that I begin to discern that are a part of their life, you know, like bitterness or pride or, you know, unhealthy soul ties or some of these issues that our school discusses. And then I'll have another section there, I call it deep restoration, where I'm going to evaluate the A and the B trauma in their life and then make some notes and, and begin to understand what needs to be worked through there. Um, but it's not... It's more something uh, that I do. I, ha- I do have a couple things, you know, that I've put together, but I haven't. I don't really use them. I try to be as, you know, as natural as I can be when I'm talking to people. Um, and so, if I'm going off, so a lot of the questions I've kind of, I kind of just kind of just come off the top of my head, you know. <laughs> so. That's one thing I'm really, I, I, without being having a legalistic approach to it, I am wanting to be a little bit more systematic in what I do. <laughs> That's kind of my goal. Um, we put together a marriage counseling model um, this past year, and uh, we're beginning to send that out to our clients and using it in our office. And but we're wanting to put together a couple other models too. My wife keeps telling me we have to have a an abuse model it needs to be put together, and uh, she's right. And so that's probably the next one. And then I want to put together a, um, a men's issues, kind of a men's issue kind of model, too. Because that's the three primary issues that I counsel, is marriage, men, and uh, abuse. So I want to have a model for each one. And kind of what are some of the things that we're going to um, address, what things need to be uh, dealt with and understood and that kind of thing. 